going to read one verse of scripture uh, actually today for my main text. One verse of scripture. The book of Romans chapter 12 verse 11. I'm going to be reading this from the um, Amplified Classic uh, version today. The word said, never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor. Be aglow and burning with the Spirit serving the Lord. Never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor. Be aglow and burning with the Spirit serving the Lord. I want to preach a message to you this morning. I've just simply titled, and I hope some people will get on board with me today and help me. The title of this message is, Let's Build a Fire. Let's build a fire. If you would, pray with me and for me today. Father, we thank you for your presence. We've already felt here, Lord, and experienced in the worship. We thank you for those, Lord, that are here to worship you today. Lord, we pray for those that are traveling and that cannot be here. But, Lord, I pray for the next few moments that you would anoint every ear in this place to hear your word. You would anoint every heart to receive your word today. Lord, I pray that you would... Lord, move me out of the way. Decrease me until I'm nothing, that your Holy Spirit may be increased within me. Anoint these lips of clay that I would not speak with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but that, Lord, it would be nothing but your word that would come forth today and that it would come forth in the power and the demonstration of your spirit. I ask you, God, to move in and through your word today as only you can. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said... Amen. You may be seated today. Thank you, Ben. Um, in the culture, in this culture, in this modern day society that we live in, church is a hot commodity. How many knows what I'm talking about? Church is a hot commodity. There are churches of every kind. There are churches that cater to every kind. Some churches are on fire and some are not. And some churches take a firm stance on the Word of God, and some take no stance at all. Can I get some help this morning? Anything and everything goes, right? But I can tell you this morning that the younger generation is not interested in boring, mundane, ritualistic religion. Am I too loud out there? I hear an echo out there. I asked for some monitor up here, but I don't feel any monitor. I just hear the echo of the house out there is what I feel like is coming back at me. So I don't know what's wrong with this mic today, but I'll switch if I need to. Guys, just give me a cue. I don't want to blast everybody out, but I want to be able to hear myself up here. But this, this generation is not interested in boring, mundane, ritualistic religion. You know what this generation is drawn to? This generation is drawn to a church that is on fire. A church that is burning with the Holy Spirit. This generation does not care to be entertained. They want people who are serious about their relationship with the God that they claim to serve. They are drawn, this generation is drawn to preachers and singers who are on fire with the power and the spirit of the Lord. If you don't believe me, you just watch any uh, major group doing praise and worship right now on YouTube. 
You watch any video you want to. And the young people are drawn by the masses to where they are in rooms, singing around microphones. Everybody's lost in the presence of God. Everybody's worshiping. They don't care about what it looks like. They don't care about as much about what it sounds like. I remember a day when you couldn't release a CD that wasn't just in perfect tune with perfect harmony and in equal parts distributed. But now you listen to modern worship and you hear all kinds of different things in there. It's not perfected. It's not tuned. What they're hungry for, what they're drawn to, is some people who are serious about their relationship with God. They're seeking something that we state to be one of our core values. And that core value is that Freedom Point Church is a church that seeks presence over performance. We will pursue the presence of God over the performance of man. Cold, formal, and ritualistic religion, if I can be transparent with you this morning, is repulsive to this generation. It has no attraction to those who are earnest-hearted. The famous preacher John Wesley once said, Catch on fire. And they'll drive for miles to watch you burn. A relationship with Jesus that is aflame is attractive. Much of the indifference to religious relationships in our day can be attributed to the sedated condition of the church. Many ministers stand in pulpits and they preach to the building rather than to the people. Because they are not messengers as flames of fire. Fire is a crowd drawer. If you'll stay with me this morning, I believe the Lord wants to, wants to drop something into our spirits. The Bible tells us that John the Baptist was a burning and a shining light in the book of John chapter 5 and verse 35. The Bible also tells us that all of Jerusalem came out to hear him preach in the wilderness. He could attract people. It was not through his eloquent speaking or his organizational ability, but because he was the voice, the Bible said, of one crying out in the wilderness. Because he was set afire and aflame for God. On the day of Pentecost, we read in the Bible that fire came down and set upon the heads of the 120 who tarried in the upper room. And the result was when this noised abroad or when the news spread, the multitude, say multitude, came together. You see, an ice truck, I didn't say an ice cream truck, an ice truck attracts nobody. But when the fire truck siren begins to blare, almost everybody pays attention. Sometimes people will leave their homes or their place of business and drive across town to see where the fire is. And I want to tell you this morning, if the church of today is going to attract the masses of the lost, the hurting and the disenfranchised, we must leave a place of tep tepidness of dryness, of barrenness, of lukewarmness. And we must become a flaming torch of truth. 
Well, I got one person with me. Two. I see two clapping now. We must be a flaming torch of truth in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. A flaming torch of truth. Mm-hmm. Now, I've done hurt, but I'm a little too hard sometimes. That's done already come back to me. But can I tell you this morning, you may think that that child of yours or that nephew or that niece of yours or that neighbor of yours wants you to just condone everything, wants you to just act like everything's okay. Wants you to just pat them on the back and say, honey, you're doing all right. But you know what they really are hungry for? Hear me and hear me well this morning. They're searching like lost sheep for a shepherd that will lead them in the ways of truth. They want the truth. They want to know the truth. You know why? And even though the truth is uncomfortable... This book said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They want the truth. The message of Jesus Christ when he was sent and signified by his servant John to the Laodicean church was this. The book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 15 through 18. He said, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments for me so you will not be Shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. It is God's desire for the church to be on fire. Can we act for just a moment like this is not an 845 crowd? And y'all just rolled out of the bed. It is God's desire for the church to be on fire. See, evidently the church at Laodicea was doctrinally sound. And there was no argument against the organization of that church. But they had become mechanical and lukewarm in their operation. See, the church today has wandered a great distance from the pattern of the early church. When the early church was born... It was a time of Holy Spirit activity. And the people looked on with amazement. And they were confounded at the supernatural manifestations and operations they beheld. Can I tell you today that the church, I'm not just talking about this church. The church needs to be stirred. I'm not just talking about an emotional spree, but a real 
earth-shaking stir. So many Christians, and more particularly Pentecostals of today, are like Rip Van Winkle. They come to life during a revival, then they go right back to sleep. Can I tell you, there's nothing worse than dead religion. Dead things have no resistance whatsoever. They drift and they float with the current. Hmm, Let that sink in. In many churches, there is an absence of life whatsoever. They have a name that they live. I've never seen a time where churches have, I mean, we've got one, Freedom Point, right? We're supposed to be the point of folks' freedom. Life Church, hello, should be a lively place to be. They have a name, and I'm not saying those particular church names. I'm just saying in general, many churches have a name that they live, but they're dead. And the admonition could be given them that was given to the church of Sardis in the book of Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do. He said that again. And that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains. For even what is left is almost dead. That sounds like the church today. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent. 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 And turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. If any church is going to remain in business for the kingdom... It's going to have to practice life-giving ministry. If the church is going to advertise its product, it better have the goods on the shelf. Dr. Ray H. Hughes was one of my favorite preachers ever in the church of God. He went home to be with the Lord a few years ago. But I was reading one of his books this week, and he used to tell the story of remembering working in a bargain store as a teenager. He said the owner of the store invited him to go with him to purchase some goods for the store. And while with the owner, he saw him purchase one single pair of shoes. Dr. Hughes said that he couldn't see the point of his buying only one pair of shoes since he wouldn't be able to advertise them. However, when they returned, he asked him, why he purchased, why did you purchase only one pair of shoes? And his answer was that he wanted them for a window display. He said he would put an enticing price on the shoes. And by doing so, he would lure customers into his store. When they came in, he would tell them that was the last pair of shoes in the window. But he would sell them something else. Hmm. And to young Ray Hughes, that seemed like a hypocritical practice. He was advertising... Something that he didn't even have in stock on the shelves. Hmm. Is anybody with me this morning? Sounds a whole lot like what some of us call church today. Nothing more than decoration, 
and window display. Men and women putting up a front. But there's no goods on the shelf. Are you with me this morning? Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. But this book says, from such, turn away. If the church is going to profess the fullness of the Spirit and make its claim on the world, we got to have the goods on the shelf. We can't be a church just merely in name, but in evidence and in practice. We can't stay alive on the name alone. Everywhere the early church went, everywhere they went, there was a stir. In Ephesus, the book said, there arose no small stir about that way. That's what the Bible said. In Thessalonica, the apostle Paul was termed the world upsetter. For they said of him, these that have turned the world upside down are come here also. Can I tell you this morning that it breaks my heart to look at people whose countenance once radiated and reflected the glory of the Lord. But now they're in a cold, lukewarm, backslidden state. They are dying flames and smoldering embers of a once burning, blazing experience with the Lord. They need to cry out like the foolish virgins, virgins did in Matthew when they said, give us your oil, because our lamps have gone out. But hear me when I say this this morning. And this is good for folks in the ministry or super active volunteers and people that really work. That's what burnout can and will do to you. And when we see that begin to happen, it should concern us. It should alarm us. Because I want to tell you this morning, smoldering embers can, be can become a flame again if they're just stirred up. We should be like the Apostle Paul with young Timothy. We need to be reminded to stir up the gift that is within you. Here's the problem in some church folk today. I wonder, I just wonder, is it even in there? Because if it were in there, it wouldn't be so hard to stir it up. I remember my aunts and uncles, when they would talk to us about growing up in Harlan County in the coal mining camp of Gray's Knob. The only heat source in that little house they lived in was a wood-burning stove. And in the colder months, they would go to bed with a fire. But they said my granny would wake up real early in the morning. And they would hear her stirring those embers around. And then she would place some dried pine on those embers, kindling the fire until she had a crackling flame again. And then she'd wake them up and she'd have them come into the, like the living area where the, where the fire was and warm themselves by the fire. But every single day, that fire had to be rekindled. If she had left it alone long enough, the fire would have gone out. That's what's happened in many cases in many churches today. 
We have left things alone so long that the fire is going out. Sweet and bitter water cannot flow from the same fountain. We're either spewing life or we're spewing condoning. Mm-hmm. Oh, pastor, now hold up now. Hold up. Hold up. you got to preach the truth in love. You do. But you got to love people enough to tell them the truth. That's preaching the truth in love. Because when you're not preaching truth at all, you better look at your hands. Mm. Blood on your hands. We got to take a stand. There's even a country song. Hello? It says you got to stand for something or you fall for anything. You do have to take a stand. I feel some resistance right now. I said you do have to take a stand. Anything and everything is not okay. Not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into heaven. But what this book says is truth, is what we must proclaim and stand on as truth. Now, wait a minute, Pastor. It'll offend somebody. It'll hurt their feelings. It'll turn them off. They'll never come to church again. You know what? It might turn them off. Because until they're ready to let go of that sin, they cannot serve two masters. They either got to love the one and cling to it. And they got to hate the other. And if they don't, they cannot serve both. But don't you compromise the truth. Stand on the word of God and hold to the truth. I would to God that the Holy Spirit would come again as a rushing mighty wind and fan the smoldering embers of our experiences with the Lord into fresh flames of Pentecostal fire. Some folks get worried about extreme emotionalism and fanaticism when we talk about spiritual fire. But you know, I've decided, I'm, I'm 47 years old, and I've decided that I'm not nearly as worried about people burning with emotionalism as I am about a dry-rotted church. A Texas evangelist was preaching with a great deal of fire and zeal in a tent meeting, and the pastor told him to, hold up now, put on the brakes. You're preaching too hard. The evangelist replied, Pastor, God didn't call me to be a brakeman. He called me to be a fireman. It's a good thought this morning. I want to talk a couple things about fire and what it symbolizes. And then we're going to build a fire with three pieces of wood. Fire is a symbol of God's presence. All throughout the Bible, the presence of God was symbolized by fire. While Moses kept the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, on the backside of the desert... 
The Bible said that there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it did not burn up. And God called to Moses out of the midst of this bush, signifying that the fire was a symbol of his presence. Another place in the Old Testament, the Lord led the children of Israel by fire through the night. The Bible said, the Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel both by day and by night. Another place in the scripture in Exodus, uh, when the Lord came down on Mount Sinai, the Bible said that all of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord has descended on it in the form of fire. Many other examples I could give you, but fire was always a symbol of God's presence. Secondly, fire generates or provides protection. I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever seen anybody backslide who was actively on fire for God? Never. As the shepherds build fires around their flock to ward off the beast of prey, likewise the fire of God will serve as a wall around a Christian. Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 5, the word said, Then I myself will be a protective wall of fire around Jerusalem, says the Lord, and I will be the glory inside the city. When Elisha was being punished by Benadad, the king of Syria, and his thousands, Elisha was not worried because he was being protected by the chariots of fire, the Bible said, that were round about him. The fire burning brightly in a man or a woman's heart is a guarantee against sin. When the fire of God is burning within you, it's a guarantee against sin. Those that have trouble and struggles with the world are those whose flames are dying. There's an old adage that says, flies don't settle on a hot tea kettle. They don't. God gives us fire in our hearts and God expects us to keep it burning. Fire provides protection. But fire also generates power. Say power. Listen to the words of John the Baptist to his congregation in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He was making reference to the power and the zeal that accompanies being baptized with the Holy Ghost. As Jesus said himself uh, in his parting message to his disciples in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. A church cannot carry out the great commission Without fire. Organization. Plans. And my staff knows I'm preaching to the choir right now. Because I'm the, I'm the king of organization and plans and programs. But all of those things. Without the touch of the Spirit of God. Are nothing but dead weight to the church. A vehicle, a car with eight cylinders is no better with, than one with four if there's no spark in there. A freight train can be loaded and everything in order with every workman in place. But if there's no fire, did you know that? If there's no fire in the engine, 
that freight's not going anywhere. And I don't think this morning that it would be fair to diagnose the case of the church without giving you a prescription. We don't have to long and hunger and wait for the fire of God without knowing that we can receive it right now. One of the wisest men in the Bible, Solomon, said, Where no wood is, the fire goes out. I meant to bring some wood with me this morning and I forgot. But I want us to build a fire today. I'm going to put three pieces of wood on the fire and, and we'll, see, we'll see how it burns. Because it's within reach of every single man and woman that wants. Here's the key. You have to desire to have a burning experience with the Lord. You have to desire it. Some people don't want to be on fire. Some people like being lukewarm. Some people like being comfortable in their lifestyle. You can't get on fire for God and be comfortable in a lifestyle that's contrary to His Word. First piece of wood we're going to put on the fire this morning is um, meditation. How many knows that the age that we live in is an age of stress and strain? We live in a high-pressure society. And amidst all the hustle and bustle, very few folks take time to pause and meditate on the Lord. And because of the lack of meditation, many folks have forgotten their experience with the Lord. Many people don't realize the importance or the relationship that meditation has with being on fire for God. And when we become lax and cold in our experience, when we begin to meditate on the goodness of God and His mercy towards us, it's not very long until our heart begins to burn within us. When I'm feeling distant or when I'm feeling bogged down or when I'm feeling discouraged, I begin to think about my personal experience with the Lord, what I've seen Him do, what I've watched Him do in my life, and it doesn't take very long until my heart begins to burn and a praise begins to rise up within me. Anybody ever do that when you're by yourself? Just begin to meditate and think on the goodness of God. And just begin to praise Him and worship Him right where you are at home all by yourself. The psalmist David had a similar experience. Psalm chapter 39 and verse 3. He said, my heart was, I love this, hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. What did he mean? When the fire of God began to burn within him, that's when... Some of the most beautiful psalms that were ever written by David were penned. It was when his heart was burning and blazing for God. No wonder David was called the man who raised up on high, the anointed of, of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. He said, then I spoke with my tongue. This accounts for many of the beautiful psalms, but think about it. Psalm 23. When you're going through it. And you begin to think about the goodness of God. And when you're hot, your heart is hot, burning within you. While the fire was burning, he said, then I spoke with my tongue. And he said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. 
He restoreth my soul. I know I'm getting it all out of order, but my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He even served notice on the enemy, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Do you know what he meant about that valley? That valley was Sheol, the valley of hell. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of hell, no matter what the devil is trying to do to you, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me thy rod and thy staff they comfort me thou anointest my head with oil in the presence of my enemies my cup runneth over he began to write psalms like that when his heart was burning within him see everybody's interested in success in life and the book of Joshua gives a good prescription for success Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 The book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe and do according to all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall deal wisely and have good, what? Success. By meditating day and night in the Word of God, we can know the road to success. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed. I love the Amplified Classic version sometimes. I love the way it says this. Watch this. Blessed. Happy, fortunate, prosperous, and enviable. Is the man who walks and lives not in the counsel of the ungodly. Who doesn't follow their advice, their plans, and their purposes. You get that? When we don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Let me stop right there. I don't really have time to teach, but I'm going to teach just a moment on this. When we don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. If we follow the advice of the ungodly. Are you with me? Their plans, their agendas, are you with me? And their purposes. You cannot walk in opposition to them by agreeing with or condoning them. When you agree with them or you condone them, you are walking right in the counsel of the ungodly. Boy, that'll preach right there. That'll preach right there. Nor stands submissive and inactive. I like that. In the path where sinners walk, uh, we don't need to get in the way of sinners. Nor sits down to relax and rest where the scornful and the mockers gather. But his delight and desire are in the law of the Lord, truth. And on His law, the precepts, the instructions, the teachings of God, He habitually, He makes a habit of meditating, pondering and studying them by day and by night. And He, the one that does all that, He shall be like a tree firmly planted and tended by the streams of water, ready to bring forth fruit in its season. Its leaf also shall not fade or wither, and everything he does shall prosper and come to maturity. There is a guarantee of spiritual prosperity to everybody who will meditate and take delight in the law of the Lord. And lastly, when I talk about meditation, we're going to get to the second piece of wood. When the Shunammite woman and her husband built a room at their house for Elijah, They included four things. I'm going to preach a whole message on this in the near future. Four things they included in that room. A bed, a chair, a table, and a lamp. Because they knew the man of God 
needed a place to rest and meditate on the Lord. To sit. Why did he need the table and the lamp and the chair? So he could sit and read and meditate on the Word of God. They knew he was a man of God. Meditation is necessary to keep the flame of God burning in your heart. The second piece of wood is prayer. I could preach a whole message on this. I've preached many messages on prayer, but I could preach a 52-week series, I believe. Because prayer is talked about more and practiced less than anything in the church today. Prayer is treated very lightly by the average Christian. It is said that the average prayer life, listen to this, of Christians today is only three minutes a day for laymen. And I was kind of surprised at this, nine minutes a day for clergy. I'll be honest with you, I didn't think most clergy is doing three times as good as the average layman. No wonder, no wonder the fire of God has fizzled out in many places. Because the fire of the Lord will fall on a congregation as a result of prevailing prayer and tarrying before the Lord. When King Solomon had finished his prayer of dedication for the temple, the Bible said the fire of the Lord fell. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 1. When Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven and burned up the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. I want to tell you, that's exactly what happened week before last at camp meeting on Thursday night. The glory of the Lord just filled the temple. When Isaiah made his confession in prayer. See, sometimes we got to confess. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken off from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. I want you to notice the angel took the live coal from off the altar. He took the live coal from off the altar. We can always find the fire of God on the altar. Moses said to Israel, Leviticus chapter 6 and verse 13, Remember, the fire must be kept burning on the altar. When? At all times. It must never go out. Revival and great spiritual awakenings are born around the altars of our churches. What sparked the revival at Asbury? When a college student got up and repented and confessed. And then others began to repent and confess. Revival and spiritual awakening are born around the altars of our churches. As in Elijah's case, the church must pray down fire from heaven. And the God that answers by fire, let him be God. That's what Elijah said. We cannot expect the fire to fall until we pray. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 37 and 38. After Elijah prayed, here's what he prayed. Oh Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. And immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. After the 120 disciples in the upper room, being in one mind and one accord, had tarried with prayer and supplication for ten days, the fire of the Lord fell. A mechanical prayer prayed from a book 
or from the lips of man. Eloquently and formally. Is not the kind of prayer that brings fire. The Bible tells us that it is the earnest, fervent prayer of a righteous person. That has great power and produces wonderful results. The forgotten secret power in the church today is prayer. Too much emphasis can never be placed on seeking God's face in prayer. We used to sing an old song in the church that said, What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Watch this. Oh, what peace. Anybody want peace? We often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. The third piece of wood, they can come to the music today, is the Word of God. The Bible not only contains the Word of God, but it is the Word of God. It's not the book of the month. It's the book of the centuries. Thoughts that breathe life and words that burn. One preacher said to the traveler, it's a map of the country here and to the one which is going. To the pilot, it's the chart by which he steers. To the pilgrim, it's a staff to lean upon. To the soldier, it's a weapon. It's the sword of the Spirit. To the student, it's a textbook to eternity. To the workman, it's a hammer that breaks the rock to pieces. To the minister, it's the guidebook for humanity. To the sinner, it is the blueprint for salvation. Colossians 3 and 16 tells us to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Ignorance of the Word of God is the reason for a lot of confusion in the church today. Ignorance. Somebody says, that's a harsh word, Pastor. That just means to be unlearned. Whose job is it to teach? Ours. Jesus told us to go and make disciples. See, I grew up in the church. I know some of y'all would freak out if this happened to your kids today. But when I grew up in the church, anybody, anybody who was my elder had the mama given authority by my mama to come and correct me in the church. Anybody. Yeah. I see some of y'all. always going running to somebody looking for a word give me a word I had a guy come to me at camp meeting I probably 
shouldn't tell this, but I'm going to. Come to me at camp meeting. I've watched him all week. I probably, sh- I probably should, and I know somebody's going to get offended, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to say, it. I, I don't care. It is what it is. I've watched him all week. He'd shout at the drop of a hat and drop his own hat, and that's okay. But he had no knowledge of the Word of God. And I know this is where some of you are going to be like, oh, here he goes, judging, meddling, yada, 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 whatever. He had a vape clipped to the side of his pants. Big old vape swinging. You know, some of y'all that are asking, what is that? I love it when, I think I just saw one of our elders ask another, what is that? A vape is those things that they're huffing and puffing on that looks like clouds of smoke going around them now, you know, getting off of cigarettes, and that's fine. I mean, but he had that hanging on his side. He was jangling every time he ran around the tabernacle or did whatever. And he came to, I was, I didn't do anything to him. He came to me. He said, the Lord told him to come to me, and I was going to give him a word. You know what I said? I looked at him and I said, Are you sanctified? Some of y'all are gonna get mad at me right now. I said, Are you sanctified? He looked at me and he he started stuttering. I said, Are you sanctified? It's not a hard question. I said, Have you given up everything the Lord would have you give up to get closer to him? Have you done that? I said, Sir, it's not a hard question. He said, No. I said, well then, you don't need me to give you a word. What you need is to hit that altar and give everything you've got to Jesus. And all the word that you need has been written down. Get in it and read it. Now listen, don't get offended at me. I'm not going to tell you that, that smoking will send you to hell. One preacher said it won't. It'll just make you smell like you've been there. Say amen, somebody. It, I, that's not what I'm saying. So don't go there. Don't get upset with me over saying that. Why did you say that to him? I said that to him because I watched him all week. And he came running to me. He had watched me all week also for a word. Everybody wants to go running to somebody for a word. Why don't we try getting as close to God as we can and reading the word that he's already given us? word is the answer to everything it's the answer to our sin Psalm 119 and 11 I gotta hurry he said I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you the word is the answer to our sickness Psalm 107 and 20 he sent out his word and healed them snatching them from the door of death there's absolutely nothing that we face today that cannot be solved by the word of God what does the word of God have to do with being on fire for the Lord Jeremiah had something to say about this Follow me, Eric, through these. Jeremiah 20 and 9. If I say I will make not make mention of the Lord or speak His name anymore in my mind and heart, it is as if there was a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I'm weary of enduring and holding it in. I cannot contain it any longer. Drop down to chapter 23, verse 29. Is not my word like fire that consumes all that it can endure the test, says the Lord. And like a hammer that breaks in pieces the rock of most stubborn chapter 5 and verse 14 therefore thus says the Lord God of hosts behold you the people have spoken this word behold I will make my words fire in your mouth Jeremiah and this people would and it will
devour them. Whenever the Word of God is studied and kept in the hearts of individuals, that's why it's important that you get into a discipleship class where you study the Word. Where it's kept in the hearts of individuals, there's a continual burning fire. But you know, after the resurrection, Jesus met two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They were discouraged and downhearted, and He began to speak to them. Their eyes were so clouded with doubt and fear that they didn't even recognize Jesus. In fact, they even asked Him if He was a stranger in Jerusalem, but He had not heard what had happened. And as they traveled that dusty road, Jesus began to ask questions and walk them through what the Scriptures had said must happen to the Messiah. The Bible said when they got near the village, they constrained Him to spend the evening with them. And when they sat down for the evening meal, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave to them. And the Bible said when He did this, their eyes were opened and they knew Him. And at that moment, He vanished out of their sight. And they said to each other, Oh, did not our hearts burn within us while He talked with us by the way and while He opened to us the Scriptures. The Scriptures. We are looking for everything else today to have revival. But if we'll just meditate, pray, and study the Word, there'll be a fire that will burn the scriptures, the word of God will set your heart on fire it's personal it's God's word to you if you'll stand with me all over the room today we need the fire of God burning within us my prayer is this this morning I'm closing with this Isaiah 64 1 and 2 Oh, God, that you would rend the heavens and that you would come down, that the mountains might quake and flow down at your presence. And when fire kindles the brushwood and the fire causes the waters to boil, to make, here's the purpose, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. Let's build a fire together, church, that will make his name known. And that'll make the enemy tremble at his presence. We need more than anything to be a burning fire. This altar needs to be filled with an all-consuming fire that will burn out every impurity within us and set us on fire. Let the fire of